Okay. Well, it was kicking. I hope I didn't mess up. Sometimes I think I do. Anyway, um, you know, and so let, let's go ahead and, and, and finish off this little portion over in Revelations 19 where you can see it. I mean, you know, when you read these things, you can read it all through the scriptures, it's pieces and parts and everywhere you go. But, you know, when you talk about the tribulation period, there's going to come to an end of the tribulation period. And I think that's why Jesus says if this time wasn't short, no one would be alive, you know. But for the sake of the elect, you know, things were shortened. So in Revelation 19, in verse 17, of course, you know, you need to read above that that shows that Jesus is coming, uh, you know, um, uh, faithful and true. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his heads are many crowns. Verse 17, and I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in loud verse to all the birds and the uh, flying in midair, come and gather together for the great supper of God. You should just put out to the side the feast of Leviton, because that's what it is, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, mighty men of horses, their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. That doesn't leave out many. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth make war against the rider on the horse and his army, but the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. And with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the uh, fiery lake of burning sulfur, and the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all of the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And that is the feast of the wicked that will occur in the end of the tribulation period when Jesus returns back. And he defeats basically the enemies of Israel that were always prophesied from the very beginning that they had a king that would lead them and, and, and he would be the one that would uh, defeat all of their enemies and set them up and so forth and so on. So... Very interesting. Let's make a few more points since we got a few little, little more time because um, it's all relevant. Uh, go to Ezekiel 37. I know it's hard to write all this stuff down because we have limited time, but, you know, if this thing records and you, you, you want to have a recording of it, you can just listen to it on your phone uh, on this Anchor op, uh, 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 podcast thing. And, yeah, you just have to download the, uh, the Anchor app. Anchor. Yeah. And then you can just push on the Anchor app and, you know, what, once I send it to you, you've downloaded the Anchor app and you click on it on the email, it'll take you right to it. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Well, I, I, would, I would tell you, you got to, you, you, in doing so, you have to download the Anchor app to make the transition from Apple to Android. Okay. Yeah. So, but I, I'm I not. It on past, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, okay. But I'm just saying that, you know, you can then kind of, you know, it's hard to write and listen and write these verses down and so forth and so on, but it is what it is. So, 
Ezekiel 37. And of course, you know, if you go back to 15 here, you're going to see that this is actually when it's speaking of the two sticks, Joseph and Ephraim, okay? Or Judah, excuse me. What does that mean? Does everybody know what the two sticks is? Where was that? In Ezekiel 37. Oh, okay. Everybody know what two sticks are? (laughs) Right? Verse 15, Lynn. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick. How many sticks? Two. And write on it, on Ephraim's stick, belonging to Joseph, and all the house of Israel associated with him. And join them join them together into one stick so that they will become one in your hand. And um, this is uh, Ezekiel 37, 15 through 17. Okay, so there are two sticks. And this is prophesied that, that in the end of days, God would gather them from the nation and he would make them one once again. There wouldn't be two houses of Israel anymore, right? This, he, he's giving it to you, right? And then we'll just skip on down for the sake of skipping. And, and it says there, and um, we'll say, um, well, I can't skip too far. Well, it tells you there, uh, it says that he will make a single stick Uh, and they will become one in my hand. Verse 20, um, hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord said. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. They've been scattered. I will gather them from all around and bring them back to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And there will be how many kings over them? One king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or any with their offenses, for I will save them from all of their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. That's one of those key phrases that we love to hear that uh, they will be my people and I will be their God. And then it says, my servant David will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd. And they will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. And they will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob the land where your forefathers lived or your fathers lived, they and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. And I will make a covenant of peace with them and it will be an everlasting covenant. And I will establish them and increase their numbers and I will put my sanctuary among them forever and my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. So let's, let's see that 
here that you get this title here and you're going to have people that are going to tell you in these books and so forth and so on, they're going to say, well, who's going to be king over Israel during the Messianic kingdom? It says David, right? David, right? David. But that David is going to be the one shepherd. Who's good shepherd in the Gospels? Huh? Who's good shepherd? Jesus. Oh, thank you. Jesus, right? But notice it says, it says in... Uh, How long is uh, the so-called uh, David going to be king over them? Forever. Forever. <laughs> Forever, right? This is a title. It is a title that is a son of David. Right? That, that when... He's saying that David's already died, right? David himself has already died. But when it's saying this, it's referring to Messiah, the son of David, which was a term for the fact that it would be the Messiah, son of David, who would come and defeat the enemies of God, you know, and the people of Israel, and he would become king over them, and God would it prophesied that there would always be a a how do you say it a genealogy or a, a lineage of David to sit upon the throne. So obvious, it's in David's lineage. That's why Jesus had to come through David and the genealogy. So the son of David is always going to be seen as a messianic title for the Messiah. He's not saying that David's going to be resurrected and he's going to be king forever. That's contrary to everything we even understand. Right? Who's going to be our king? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Right? The son of David. But there are those who will tell you David's going to be resurrected and he's going to be king over the messianic kingdom, and they're good-hearted men that just are, you know, I believe, misguided. So let's look at something else. Go to 1 Kings 2. And I wish our non-believing raptured people were here for this one. Okay, how long did David rule and reign? Y'all know? 40 years. 40 years, you're cheating, Charles. <laughs> I just did it. <laughs> you know, so 40 years, right? All right, so how long? Tell me, tell me what it says, Charles, since you're reading it. Seven in Hebron and Jerusalem, 33. That's right. Okay, so 
He began his rule in Hebron. Right? And how long was he in Hebron? Did he reign? It says seven years. Now, I think that that's a reference to the fact if our, if our thinking is not stinking, then I think this is a reference to the fact that he reigns in beginning, which I've been saying, in heaven. For seven years, he's already coronated. He gets coronated in the beginning, and Jesus is going to reign, begin to reign in heaven while the tribulation period is taking place. And then after the seven years, he's going to bring his throne, which I put 33 there, but to Jerusalem, and he's going to reign there in Jerusalem. I really shouldn't say that. It may throw you off. In Jerusalem, for the remaining of the Messianic kingdom. Can you say I'm a little hard of hearing? Can you say that again? Push part. You starting off with seven years. I believe that what you're being told there, that David being a title for the Messiah, son of David, yeah. and that David's God orchestrated the history. David reigns for seven years in Hebron. Then he comes to Jerusalem. And he remains, because what's going on in the, you know, Absalom and, you know, all of this stuff, who's a picture of the false Messiah and all this stuff. But the bottom line is he then moves his throne to Jerusalem for the remaining period of his reign. And I'm saying that it's a picture of the fact that when Rosh Hashanah comes and the, uh, we're, we're taken up, we appear in the throne room, that the uh, coronation of Jesus is the major feature of what's really taking place, and he's already re beginning to reign, you know, in, in the heavens, or in the heaven, you know, prior to him bringing his throne to earth when he comes after seven years later. Now, you really should be asking another question, which is, well, what makes you think that Hebron means heaven? Why, how do you link Hebron to that idea? Right? Anybody want to take a wild guess? Before time runs out? No? So, what do we mean? Well, have you ever heard the phrase, and they were gathered to their fathers? Have we heard that phrase in the Bible? They, were, they have been gathered to their fathers. And in and, and fact, um, I think there is, a, I think I wrote down a verse that actually, yeah, I might not have. Well, let me check one since it says 2 Kings there. That might be one where it says it. Well, in chapter 2, right above where we started, it says that David slept well, there you go. There you go. There you go. There you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, verse 10 of King. Verse 22, 20. Yeah, it's a common theme. And another one is over in uh, 2 Kings 22, 20. 
And it says eventually, it says there, and therefore I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Okay? That phraseology, gathered to your fathers. Where does it come from? What does he mean? Anything? Anybody? Abraham was buried in Hebron. And so was Isaac and Jacob. And so at, at, at Machlamah, which is the cave of Machlamah outside of Hebron there, that's where they, uh, you know, this phraseology that, you know, when you're gathered to your fathers, you know, they're the father of faith and they're the people of the, you know, they're the patriarchs, that their spirit is with God in heaven was the, the idea that those were the righteous ones. So, you know, Hebron from Jewish literature and Jewish teachings are always going to be a synonym reference to being gathered to heaven or to your, your bosom of Abraham, you know, where he is. And where is he? He's, he's with God in heaven. He's the father of, of faith. So they understood it as being a synonym for that type of uh, sin. So I believe that that's why he reigned in Hebron, which is associated with that, you know, term and that phraseology to give us a clue that in the latter days you're going to see that the coronation and the when Jesus begins to reign, he's going to take his crown at the beginning of the tribulation. And this is what you're going to see in Revelations 4 and 5 and 6. It's all there. And we probably can't keep going there because of our time. But, you know... Um, it it really is um, where we would let me see. That's really where we probably ought to pick up. But you know we can't due to time. We just you know can't keep going on into all of that. But you know yeah. Well, it, it was in what they call Peniel. But, you know, it wasn't in Hebron, but I, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, when he laid his head upon the stone, you know, upon the rock, you know, that, that rock, they believe, was, you know, it was carried. You know, the rock was carried with them. You know, and there are those that believe it's all a part of the Temple Mount structure and things of that nature. But what did, what did, what did they say there? You know, what did, what did that vision say? That he, he said, Behold, the gates to heaven. And he saw angels ascending and descending, right? And that's where, you know, um, last week when we were talking about, you know, this so-called, uh, what I call the, the world to come, you know, that, you know, and you get this picture that because of the, the, the numberings of the of measurements of the so-called New Jerusalem are a, really a enlarged picture of the Holy of Holies. Right? If you look at the measurements, it's just a larger one. Way up, way out, and you know, and and, and you know, of course, you can go, oh, I'm a literalist, I believe it's just a grain. Or it really, you know, in other scriptures that see, I believe that the earth is gonna be the whole earth is gonna feel the glory of God. 
Yeah, the nations are going to still be out in the nations and Israel's going to be Israel and they're going to be lifted up and that, you know, this and God's name, his place's name in Jerusalem, right? But he's in all of us. It wouldn't matter if we were in Montgomery, Alabama. I hope not for your sake, but <laughs> don't go there, please. That's the, where the guy doesn't want to go. But, you know, that that we're we're gonna be in God's kingdom, but I believe it's I always keep telling people it's the real world. It's real. It's not some make believe thing. So when we're raised up after we die, that's why we should be rejoicing. Pain and suffering is over with, and you know, and now when we're raised up that we're gonna be experiencing the the fruitfulness of what God has planned from the foundation of the world for those people he's been calling and gathering up. And and, and I like to, and the party begin. And and that's what the, the banquet of the righteous is. So when it tells you in Revelations um I think nineteen, where it talks about blessed are those who are called to the it says wedding supper, which I think kind of throws you off a little bit, because it's the wedding banquet. And the banquet that's going to occur at that point in time is going to occur, and we get a picture of it, in Sukkot, which is our Feast of Tabernacle, which is five days after Yom Kippur. You go right into Sukkot, and it's the season of our joy. Everything you're going to learn about the Feast of Tabernacle is all about the Messianic Kingdom. And it's telling you it starts with this Great banquet where you're entering into, you know, but notice that you're still in the tent or the temporary structure. You know, Sukkot, you go out in your backyard, you build a temporary structure, you go in and eat in it seven days, right? And I think that's because even in the Messianic kingdom, there's going to be those, it's not, the, it's not the finished result. We're having this great banquet, but, the, but we're still in a temporary structure. The real deal of the fullness of it doesn't occur until you get to the end of the thousand years. And then you see the new heavens and the new earth, which we call the world to come, you know, descending out of heaven. And all things are made new, and there's no more death, there's no more dogs, sorcerers, adulterers outside the camp. They're in the, they've been thrown into the lake of fire and there, you know, there's no more. But we do fill the earth with uh, the God's glory fills the earth in every one of us. We'll be among the nations. Won't need a doctor then, will you? Praise the Lord. No more coronavirus, you know. So anyway, all really heavy stuff. I'm sorry I've been so intense. I uh, drove uh, from... <laughs> I drove home, you know, dragging a 16-foot trailer uh, right into the drive. Now tell her you're out, turn the printer on, and I'm out of here, you know. <laughs> and so uh, Lisa's actually in um, Bradenton. Uh, it was her mother's 92nd birthday, so all of her little family members are there. You know, her four sisters and her one brother. I always felt sorry for Billy. And, uh, you know... <laughs> But there, I'm sure that's what a blessed time, you know. That and she lives with her other two sisters, so uh, she's still been able to hang in there. And ninety two, 
She said, have you missed me? I said, I missed that conversation. <laughs> she handed the phone back to Lisa. <laughs> she probably interpreted that wrong, you know. But anyway, so we'll, we'll start up again, um, I guess, next week. I'm sure that they're going to shut us down at some point because uh, of Christmas. But, um, you know, I, I really know you got to have your own questions. I'd like to try to keep questions centered on what we're studying we're rather gonna, than other stuff. We're going to go into the Bank of the Righteousness, or did we uh, touch on it? Then? We just ate it. <laughs> well, the, the Banquet of the Righteous is what I just said. It's actually when Jesus returns back to the earth, the wedding banquet occurs here on the earth. And, and so it's a season of our joy. And like I said, that kind of takes you into the... That's why the, the, the three feasts are all back-to-back. Bang, bang, and bang. In the seventh month of, uh, the, of Tishrei, you know, because there, there are certain aspects and teachings of each one of these festivals. And, but they're all dealing with the second coming. And then, you know, like I say, you know... Um, uh, a covenant of peace. We talk about the time of peace, that there will be peace in the world, you know. Well, that's what we call the thousand years. And, you know, so these phraseologies that we've got, you know, that we, we have these different, you just got to plug them into the language of Isaiah and some of these things. And, you know, and, and if you find a point where you go, well, that doesn't make sense to me in the what I call the theology because I believe there's a pattern and a timeline to all this stuff and that it's all there. And if it doesn't fit, what do you have to do? <laughs> you must have quit. <laughs> oh, Johnny Cochran said that, I think. So, um, anybody else? Anything else, huh? Got a question. Sure. This seven years is basically the seven years of the tribulation period. Mm hmm. Correct? Yeah. That's right. In other words, that when he, he, he goes in, and, and we're going to look at revelations in regard to the coronation and some parallel verses of some of this, and, and when he is in, uh, we're in heaven, you know, we're before the throne, and he's going to be the one that is worthy to open the scroll. And then the seven seals that you see there that's going to be referred to could be interpreted couple different ways. They could be um, more of a encapsulation of the seven years. You know, in other words, we're going to have this, you know, open seal number one, and seal number one deals with the fact that, you know, this is what's going to happen. And maybe it's equivalent to year one. There are those that have made their own, you know, th thoughts on this. But uh, and Or it, it could deal with the fact that the seven seals actually deal with the first three-and-a-half-year period. And, I mean, you know, you can read it and look at it, and there's reasons for why people think this stuff, because if you read over there after that is spoken of in those seven seals, which then uh, the seventh seal is seven trumpets, you know, and after you go through all of that, it says, and, and, and now, you know, uh, what's the phrase? It says, uh, you know, uh, they, they fear because the wrath of God now has come. And, and in Jewish understanding, you know, 
the great tribulation or the or the wrath of God is poured out on the fir- in the first three and a half years. I mean, the second three and a half years. Okay, that technically in the first three and a half years, there's wars and rumors of wars, and they're 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 and I, I like to say everybody's jockeying p- for position. You know, I want to be your friend because you got nuclear weapons, but I don't want to be him because he's poor. You know, you know, I, you know. Everybody's making military alliances because there's wars broken out, and I think that there's you know a major event that occurs that's so you know devastating that it creates an alignment of the nations, and in doing so, you know that much of the uh, that that period of time is dealing with them being brought into the bond of the covenant, Israel as in them. And once they're brought into the bond of the covenant, then you move into the last three and a half years. It's following the same pattern. Jesus came the first time. How long was he here? Three and a half years. His ministry was three and a half years to the Jew first. Then he tells his disciples, you know, to go into all the nations and preach the gospel. And that's going to be the same pattern. Now the the children are the 144,000. The disciples are going to come to the Jew first, and then they're going out into the nations. It's, God works in patterns. So anyway, let's go ahead and close, and um, we'll uh, call it a day. Lord, thank you so much for our safety, number one, that we're all here and we're not sick. And there are those that have contacted this virus and you know, and some do a lot better than others. And we just ask that your hand be upon those that are really struggling, that, you know, it's in your hands and we know that you know what's best for all and uh, let us accept your will for those that are uh, critically sick with this. And then thank you for those that seem to recover and can go about. We're in a difficult time, but we know, Lord, that you're in control, that you have everything uh, at the tip of your uh, tongue and in your hands. And so... Uh, you know, we just have to be willing to accept your will and uh, to continue to follow you and to learn and to study and to know that you are Lord and you and God and, and that Jesus is our, uh, our king here. And we, we just thank you for his work and your ministry through him that he actually gave us this chance to be alive again. And uh, we can never, ever repay him. And uh, Lord, we just love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So.